What's up, guys? Welcome to the Flame Entertainment and Sports. It's your boy Rob here. Welcome to a sports edition of the podcast. On today's show, I'll be covering the NFL. I'll be talking about my Miami Dolphins suffering their second loss of the season. Um, I'll also be talking about the Detroit Lions and their shocking um, big loss to the Baltimore Ravens, uh, amongst other games. Then after the NFL, we talk some college football with our resident college football analyst, Paul. And, uh, yeah, we get into some games from the past weekend, including my Miami Hurricanes defeating the Clemson Tigers. We also look ahead to his Florida Gators as they will be battling off against the Georgia Bulldogs, the reigning champions, uh, this coming Saturday. And um, we also look at some conference standings within college football. Then following um, my college football talk with Paul, move on to some Major League Baseball playoff talk as the Texas Rangers are officially the American League champions, and they will be playing host to either the Philadelphia Phillies or Arizona Diamondbacks in Game 1 of the World Series on Friday. Um, Game 7 of Phillies and Diamondbacks is tonight, so make sure to tune in for that. Then the final topic on today's episode is the NBA as the season tips off tonight as we have the Nuggets and the Lakers and the Warriors um, against the Suns. But, of course, my season tips off on Wednesday night as my Miami Heat uh, play at home at the here in Miami at the Kaseya Center against the Detroit Pistons. With all that said, make sure to uh, look at the description um, of this episode so you see the timestamps and you know exactly what I'm going to talk about each subject. And with that said, thank you all again for tuning in, and let's get into it. All right, guys, so for the first topic on today's sports episode of the podcast, as always, I'm going to be starting off with the NFL, and as always, as I always start my NFL segments here on the show, I'm going to start off with my Miami Dolphins as we suffer our second loss of the season at the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles defeated defeated us 31-17 to on Sunday Night Football. Um, my overall thoughts on this game, um, I, just, I believe the Eagles outcoached us. Um, they outplayed us, but without set, with that said, um, I do believe our defense was good enough, and we gave the offense plenty of opportunities to stay within this game. Um, it was even a 17-17 game uh, in the second half, and uh, ultimately the offense was never themselves, I would say, or they are never able to fully click, and a lot of that also, you know, it goes to the Eagles and their preparation and their, their scheme on the defensive side of things. I think they did a tremendous job, and it adds on to my point that they did outcoach us, but... Like I said, I did want to. I wanted to make sure to shout out our defense because I do believe this defense. I've said it here now repeatedly, but each game we're improving. Now, um, Xavier Howard, our best corner and one of the best corners in the league, he did miss this game. But with that said, Cater Kohu and Eli Apple, um, you see the growth in their game. Um, also out from this game, um, uh, in terms of the offense, of course, Teron Armstead. But I mean, he's only played in two games this year, so the people are here saying that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Teron's incredible, but Kendall Lamb has been really good. So don't all of a sudden just because we lose a game, oh, we need our side back so bad. Like, hey, don't don't disrespect Kendall Lamb. Like, he he's been a tremendous uh, player for us this year, and he deserves a lot of credit and respect his way. Um, Connor Williams missed his second consecutive game in his third game so far of the year. The center, um, Liam Eichenberg played in his place once again, and uh, another injury suffered in the O line in the first quarter. Our left guard Isaiah Wynn who's had a, a great um, early tenure here as a as a Dolphin. And uh, he suffered an injury. Um, Lester Cotton came in in his place and 
now Mike McDaniel announced that Isaiah Wynn will be missing multiple weeks. And it looks like the battle for the left guard position will be between Lester Cotton, who, like I said, came in during the game. And uh, also in the battle will be Robert Jones, who started most games last year for us, uh, the former Middle Ten Tennessee State player, one of my favorite players, actually. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if Robert Jones or Lester Cotton ultimately starts there in uh, left guard for the Dolphins in their coming week, coming in their coming game against the uh, New England Patriots. And, um, yeah, other thoughts on this game? Um, AJ Brown, he had a, a dominant performance. Uh, Tyreek Hill is interesting. Like he had, he did put up good numbers, but I would say this might be his worst performance as a Dolphin, and uh, because he did drop two passes, that's really why. And one of them was uh, uh would have been a touchdown, but I mean I, I cannot get mad at Tyreek Hill. But everything he's done here, it's like come on. But I did want to make sure to to get that out there, you know. But um, yeah, Tua he throws two. For 216 yards and a touchdown and a pick, Jalen Hurts, 279, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, I mean, yeah, really, to me, this was uh, the Eagles' defense um, shutting down the Dolphins' run offense. Uh, without our run offense, we wouldn't be the offense we are. I've said that here on the podcast before, and the Eagles were somehow able to find a way to shut us down. And obviously, like, they do have an elite defense, um, and specifically in that interior front with Fletcher Cox and – and uh, Carter, the rookie, I mean, they're just an incredible defense. But it, it still was shocking to see how dominant they were against our, our running attack. Um, Moster wasn't able to get it going. Ahmed, uh, Jeff Wilson, though, he, he did play a couple of snaps in his first game of the season. So, yeah, speaking of the Eagles defense, the day following this game, so yesterday on Monday, they actually acquired uh, Kevin Bayard, the all-pro safety from the Tennessee Titans, one of the best uh, defensive players in the history of the Titans. So the Eagles got even better um, after this uh, very impressive win over Miami. And uh, to go back to Miami really quick, I did mention a couple injuries there, um, but uh, some other things that are going on injury-wise for the Dolphins. So there was a play in the game in which uh, David Long and Javon Holland collided. Long did not return in the game. Holland, after... Being seen by the doctor on the sideline, he was allowed to return. But unfortunately, Monday morning, Holland reported con concussion-like symptoms to the Dolphins. So he is currently in the protocol. But with that said, the guy that was, <laughs> did not return in line, he is not in the protocol. In the protocol, so it's all confusing. But you know, wishing Holland a a speedy recovery. Uh, you already know. Uh, and speaking of staying in the secondary, really quick, um, Jalen Ramsey last week. No, he began his first uh, week of practice with the team. And uh, now there's a chance that he may make his uh, Dolphins debut this uh, Sunday against the Patriots. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, we suffer a second loss. Just got to, you know, keep fighting, learn from our mistakes, and we'll be fine. And then the Eagles, like I said, an impressive win for them. So the Eagles move to 6-1, and one, the Dolphins five to four, fall to 5-2. and two. And like I mentioned, the Dolphins now will be playing the Patriots uh, this week on Sunday afternoon here in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium, Miami Gardens. And uh, speaking of the Patriots, they had one of the most impressive wins um, in all of week seven as they defeat the Buffalo Bills 29-25. to New England moves to 2-5 and five on the year. Buffalo falls to 4-3 and three on the season. And, yeah, just an incredible win for New England. Um, they were up in the game, you know, for the majority of the time. 
Then um, what's it called? Then Buffalo finally turns it on in the fourth quarter. I want to put it up to make sure I read I read you guys the the right you know scores and stuff like that. Okay, so in the fourth quarter, with seven minutes left to go, New England scores a touchdown uh, on a pass from Mag Jones to Kendrick Bourne to take a twenty-two to ten lead. Then Buffalo comes back and scores with a twenty-five yard pass from Allen to Diggs. Then with a minute fifty-eight left, Josh Allen does a a, a one-yard touchdown run and then throws a two-point conversion to Dawson Knox, the tight end. And uh, Buffalo takes their first lead of the game at 25 to 22. And then New England storms down the field. And Mac Jones hits my favorite tight end of all time, Mike Gesicki, for the pass. And the Patriots are victorious and pick up not just a huge win overall, but a huge divisional win as well. And like I said, yeah, they moved to two and five on the year. The Bills fall to four and three on the year. Um, a couple of numbers here I want to put up really quick. Like I said, Mac Jones, he, he had a solid performance. He goes, 25 for 30 for 272 yards and two touchdowns and an average of 9.1 yards per pass. Um, then in the receiving game, Kendrick Bourne was the leading receiver. He's had two huge games in a row with the absence of Juju Smith-Schuster once again and consecutive games. Bourne fi- finished with six catches for 63 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. Um, like I said, Mike Gesicki he he catches a game-winning touchdown. Another touchdown uh, on the day for New England came from Ezekiel Elliott, the longtime Cowboy running back, as he ran 11 times for 31 yards. And um, let's see here really quick. And then defensively, Jabril Peppers, the former Michigan Wolverine, picked up an interception off of Josh Allen. Christian Barmore, the former superstar at Alabama, he had a sack, a tackle for loss, and one quarterback hit on the day for the Patriots. And, yeah, I mean, just a, a big-time win for New England. And now that's going to be a fun showdown as the Dolphins are coming off are coming off a big loss and the Patriots are coming off a big high, uh, a big win against uh, New England. So I think that's going to be a fun divisional matchup here. Like I said, in Miami Gardens this week between the Finns and the, and the Patriots. Uh, some other games I wanted to talk about here, Cleveland. Uh, the Browns, they pick up another win after defeating the 49ers last week. Um, Cleveland comes back and beats the Indianapolis Colts by a final score of 39 for 38. Deshaun Watson, after missing consecutive games, he returns and then gets hit right at the, I mean, gets hurt right at the beginning of the game and missed and did not return. So PJ Walker stepped in in his place. Um, Gardner Minshew had a huge game for Indianapolis. He threw for 305 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt, another great game for the Browns running duel. Ford ran 11 times for 74 yards and a touchdown. Kareem Hunt had 10 carries for 31 yards and two touchdowns. And um, on the other side for Indianapolis in the receiving department, rookie Josh Downs, one of my favorite rookies, he had five catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. That's wild. Michael Pittman Jr. Um, also had a touchdown reception in the game. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I wanted to point that out because now Cleveland moves to 4-2 and two on the year. And like I said, um, Watson, you know, he's missed consecutive games. He leaves early in this one, and they're still able to find a way to beat a good Indianapolis Colts team, and the Colts now fall to three and four on the year. Um, other games to talk about, I would say arguably the biggest shocker, even more shocking than New England beating Buffalo, was the Detroit Lions getting smothered by the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens pick up a huge 38-6 to win. Ravens move to five and two on the year, and the Lions fall to five and two. So it's kind of wild. You think of the Dolphins and the Lions uh, suffered two huge losses 
but they still are um two of the elite teams in the NFL, and it happens, you know. Uh, Lamar Jackson had an incredible game in this one, passing. Um, he threw three touchdowns. For, he went twenty-one for twenty-seven with three hundred fifty-seven yards, and he actually he also added a, a fourth touchdown on the ground. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, a rookie running back for the Lions, ran eleven times for sixty-eight yards. He had a touchdown, but this was just the Ravens' game from start to finish. Um, I mean, you look at the box score, like scoring-wise, and it's just incredible. You see first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, Lions were shut out, and they scored their only touchdown by with Gibbs there in the, in the fourth quarter. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, impressive win for the Ravens. Like I said, they improved to 5-2, and two, and Detroit falls to 5-2 and two on the year. Um, let's see some other games here that I want to talk about. Let's see, let's see. Um, oh, yeah, Kansas City, of course. I got to, you know, got to talk about that one. 100%. Kansas City picks up another huge win. They defeat the LA Chargers 31 to 17. Kansas City moves to 6 and 1 on the year and the Chargers fall to 2 and 4. And um Patrick Mahomes <laughs> another legendary game uh for one of the all-time great quarterbacks. Um he has 424 yards passing and four touchdowns. Uh, oh, and he also added 29 yards on the ground and four rushing attempts. Uh, Travis Kelsey, an uh, incredible performance was his good luck charm in the building. Kelsey finished the game with 12 catches for 179 yards and a touchdown. And of course, Taylor Swift was once again in attendance. And it's just incredible um, to see uh, how, how Travis, like after all these legendary seasons, um, same with Mahomes, they just continue to get better and better. And it's uh, definitely, you know, amazing to see. But I'm looking at something really quick on my phone here, like a stat I want to to point out here really quick. Um, so CBS pointed that pointed this out yesterday. I mean, not yesterday, on Sunday, during this Chiefs Chargers game. Uh, the game wasn't done yet, but um, it's basically a, a stat, and it says with Taylor Swift in attendance, Travis is averaging 99 yards, <laughs> uh, 99 receiving yards per game, and when she's not there, 46 and a half yards. Uh, rece- receiving in, uh, per game. So I thought that was a wild stat to point out. But, yeah, once again, Taylor Swift steals the show again um, in Kansas City. And, you know, see her taking pictures with fans, celebrating with Brittany Mahomes and the rest of Patrick Mahomes' family. And uh, just a, an amazing sight to see. Um, even Taylor and Travis post for pictures with McCole Hardman and his uh, wife. And uh, you see Tra- uh, Taylor giving Travis a kiss on the cheek. And it's just incredible because I've never seen – Taylor be public at all with any of her relationships. So, I mean, you know, I'm wishing them all the best. And it's just a beautiful, you know, love story that's uh, unfolding. And it's great to see for sure. And uh, I appreciate all the love as well from all the Swifties that have uh, liked all the content I've been putting out regarding Taylor and Travis. Uh, I really appreciate the love there on Instagram. If you aren't following us already, make sure to go follow us there at the flame underscore ES. Uh, You can follow me at Rob Cal. That's R-O-B-C-A-O. But yeah, big time win for the Chiefs. Like I said, 31 to 17 over the Chargers. Um, one more game I want to mention here. So the final game of uh week seven was a huge, huge, huge win for the Minnesota Vikings as they defeat the San Francisco 49ers 22 to 17. Minnesota moves to three and four. The Niners fought a five and two and suffer their second consecutive loss after being defeated by the Cleveland Browns in week six. And uh yeah, Minnesota, I mean. It was great to see, you know, Kirk Cousins, he's one of my favorite players in the league. And, um, yeah, he finished the game with, he got 378 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Jordan Addison, the rookie wideout, 
He had seven catches for 123 yards and two touchdowns. Just uh, insane. And, uh, yeah, no, just incredible. And the Vikings defense, in my opinion, they absolutely shut down a 49ers offense. Like, you even look at Christian McCaffrey. Uh, like, he had a, a good game, like, for a majority of, of people. Where right? He had 15 carries, 45 yards, and a touchdown. Um, but, like, that's not typical of McCaffrey numbers. But, obviously, those are just numbers. But, you know, they, they, they picked off Brock Purdy twice. And uh, ultimately, yeah, the final drive of the game for the Niners, uh, Vikings came through and, and got another interception. And uh, it's just incredible. Um, and I'm very happy to see Minnesota pick up such a big-time win. And, yeah, they improved the three and four now, you know. A lot of people were writing them out a couple weeks ago, and now, hey, things are looking different. But people didn't realize that the majority of their losses are one-possession games. So, I mean, you got to put that in perspective as well. Um, another person to talk about, TJ Hawkinson, the Vikings tight end. He had 11 catches for 86 yards in this one. Um, I want to look at the defense really quick. Uh, Dean Lowry had a fumble recovery for Minnesota. Uh, let's see here. Sack department for Minnesota. They had one sack. Daniel Hunter, the longtime Viking legend. Uh, he had a sack in the game. Interception-wise, um, Cameron Bynum and Kane Nangu. They had – oh, no, no, just Cameron Bynum. I'm sorry, Cameron Bynum. Had two interceptions. I got mixed up here. Canadian uh Nangwu is a kick returner. Sorry about that. But Cameron Bynum, huge game for him as he picks up Brock Purdy twice in this one. And uh yeah, just a fantastic win for Minnesota. And let's see if they keep building off of this. And then the Niners, we're gonna see how they respond. Um they they go from five and oh to five and two quickly, you know. After, like I said, a loss to the Browns and a loss to Minnesota. And uh and yeah, I mean it, it's interesting and, and very exciting see um the NFL so open and so much competitiveness uh, so far this season and uh and I'm very much looking forward um to what happens now in week eight this coming uh Thursday, Sunday and uh Monday. Uh for that with that said that wraps up today's NFL portion of uh of our episode. All right guys so for this college football talk with Paul segment I just wanted to mention something that me and Paul forgot to mention, but he reminded me after we recorded. Um, in terms of our pick'em, which is uh, the last part of our our college football talk section, we each went seven and three last week. So I just wanted to make sure to get that in there. But with that said, enjoy college football talk with Paul. All right, guys. So for the next topic on today's sports episode of the Flame Entertainment and Sports, gonna bring on Paul, and we're gonna talk some college football. We're gonna Get into a couple games that happened this past weekend. We're also going to look at some games that uh, can affect uh, playoff chances and some uh, some things that could affect uh, conference standings and all that. And, uh, and we're going to take a quick look ahead to some games coming up this coming weekend. And we're going to finish off with uh, uh, our Pick'em challenge that ESPN has on their on their site. But yeah, before that, uh, Paul, welcome back to the show, bro. Hey, Rob. Appreciate it, man. Uh, glad to be back. It was a it was an interesting week, honestly. Some some uh, some things we were kind of expecting, some things we were not expecting at all. So um, it's gonna be a, a pretty good little wrap up that we got planned here. Ah, for sure, man. All right, so the first game, uh, you want to get into? You want to do? Let's do Penn State and Ohio State, man. So Ohio State wins. You and me both pick Penn State here. But uh, what what were your thoughts on on that game? Look, man, I'm not like if you would have told me before this game. Uh, Ohio State would have won. I've been like, okay, sure, whatever. 
And I, and like I said, I said last week, I said, take the under. I don't care what it is. Take it. It was at 46 and a half. I think that ended up scoring 32 points total. I said, take the under. It's going to be a defensive game. And it was, right? It was. But, Rob, I don't I don't know why they don't. These two quarterbacks, I get, they're in their first year. They're not proven. But for that reason, why not let them just do what they got to do? You know what I mean? Let Give them a couple chances to throw the ball downfield. 100%. That's what I would. That's what I would say. If I didn't really break down the film of Penn State's offense, bro, their their receivers were getting smothered, like they were getting absolutely plastered, bro. It was unbelievable. I'm not saying that they couldn't have taken a couple taken a couple shots. They could have, but by the time that they could. Every single time they could, Ohio State's defensive line was putting pressure on Drowler, and he couldn't do anything with the ball. So I'll give credit when it's credit is due to Ohio State because either they were covering the receivers or they were getting pressure on Aller. But at the end of the day, I don't think Penn State was creative enough with their play calling. They were very much like – I know you're the fan of like old school, pound the ball, and then set up the pass game. They were doing it too traditionally against a – defense that's like too good to do that against right and and it caught up to them and it's kind of it, it's sad because it, it feels like there's like wasted potential in that in that offense right now um and you know Ohio State without Travion Henderson also struggled on offense Marvin Harrison literally 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 put the game on his back <laughs> I, I don't even he had over 100 yards uh career high receptions I think it was 11 receptions he had a touchdown as well Every time he touched the ball, he got a first down. I think it was like – I think every time I saw the guy touch the ball, it was a first down and then some. So it was it was a sight to behold, man. It was a, it, it was a real ugly game, but in like, a, in like a dogfight type of way, not like, oh, these two teams suck. It's like, no, these two teams are just – they were literally in the trenches, bro. Not for sure, man. No, I mean, I, I only saw chunks of the game from what I did see. I mean, yeah. It was just like, yeah, it looked like two great defenses and two, like one, okay, I, I mean, like pretty good, you know, offense with Ohio State. Like you said, Harrison really, if it wasn't for him, I don't know where that offense would be, like realistically. But, and then, yeah, Penn State's offense was just like, I mean, it was, they weren't enjoyable at all to watch. That's why even <laughs> I, I was watching the game and then I, I just like, uh, yeah, I didn't, like, keep up with the whole thing because I was kind of bored. Like, I do love defense, obviously, but it's it was, like, so many times in a row that the offense would do nothing. And I was just like, why am I still watching this stuff? But, yeah, any other thoughts on that game, bro? No, man, I mean, it, it's it, – it was it, – I agree with you. It was frustrating to watch because I was so excited for it. You know, it was a hyped-up game, as it should be. It still means a lot. Um, you know, Penn State season is not over. People are probably saying that already. It's not over. They still have to play Michigan. Michigan still has to play Ohio State. There is an there is a world out there that Penn State beats Michigan and Michigan beats Ohio State, and there's a three way tie for the Big Ten West. And I have no idea what the tiebreaker is. I don't care. We'll get to that <laughs> if we get to that. But but this is like this has always been in the cards. You know what I mean? Um, we were talking earlier about Penn State's defense being like their strongest, you know, part of their team. And it's, I still think it's one of the best defenses in the nation, but 
if you have one guy, I don't care if he's a generational talent, Marvin Harrison Jr., put three guys on him, man. Put three, put four guys on him. He just kept coming up with play after play when they, like, literally when Ohio State needed it the most. I I couldn't understand how he kept doing it. It, it, it didn't even feel like – even – even if it wasn't down the field, it was at the, it was like a short pass, and he would just take it. I was like, "What? What adjustments are being made? Because this is not the first. This won't be the last time they have to deal with a guy that you know gets the highest like volume of passes. You know, so how will they respond? Because if they they let that happen again, the same result's gonna happen. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't even thought of that, but no, you're hundred percent right. Yeah, no, just adjustments were made in like that matchup for sure against Harris. And what do I know? I'm not a defensive coordinator, right? Easier said than done. But but just from a bird's eye view, that's what I see, you know. No, I feel you for sure, man. But uh, so the next game we're going to talk about here, it's the only game that I watched fully, which was uh, Clemson against Miami. Mm-hmm. As uh, the Canes, we pick up a huge 28-20 to 20 win in uh, double overtime with our true freshman, our backup quarterback, Emery Williams. Uh, in his first career starts, he beats Dabble Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. So feels great, but yeah, um, I'm going to give a couple of thoughts really quickly here. So yeah, like I said, Emery Williams, first career start. Um, I felt in the first half of the game that the coaching staff was kind of handy, uh, handcuffing him, I guess you could call it. They weren't really letting him like be a quarterback, in my opinion. I was sitting there in the stadium kind of frustrated with the play calling. Um, because our, our defense was like looking really good. They kept making stops, but then we we'd get the ball on offense, and it was like, like oh, a, a screen here. Um, it was a, a a run up the middle from the shotgun like twelve times in a row. It was like, wait, are you guys gonna let him play quarterback? Like for that, put someone else in, because you're not instilling confidence. And I think the only way to grow is through mistakes too. Like even if the guy threw a pick or two, like I mean, this guy's a true freshman. But thankfully, in the second half. I f- maybe the coaches were like, "Oh crap! Like we we can't keep doing this, and so now we're we're not gonna win." So they kind of let him like let uh get loose a little bit. Um, he threw a, a beautiful touchdown to Kobe Young, one of my favorite receivers in the country, and uh, another guy to shout out is Brashard Smith. He's a returner, receiver, running back, whatever you want to call it. But he had a huge uh, eighty yard run, um, which was our first offensive play of the game. He fumbled the ball in the end zone. But thankfully, one of our guys is able to dive on it, and uh, it was a touchdown. And uh, other than that, too, I want to shout out Ruben Bain, who's been our best uh, defensive lineman this year. He had two ta- two sacks and two tackles for loss against Clemson. Also adding sacks were uh, Francis Maoga. I-, I-, I try to pronounce his name, but his brother's a freshman right tackle. Both of those guys are tremendous players. Um uh, let me see here. Leonard Taylor, he had two tackles for loss. He's a very underrated defensive tackle. And um, one more guy, as always, Cam Kitchens comes up, up clutch again. He has an interception in the game, finished with uh, six tackles on the day, and he just does another tremendous job. And another guy who I've been hard on since his freshman year, with a, lot, a lot of low IQ moves, is uh, James Williams, who is the corner who's been playing alongside Cam uh, for, for the last three years. Um, within the last three games, I've seen him play his smartest football, and uh, I'm just very happy to finally see him, you know, growing because he has a lot of talent. Um, maybe you know it takes one game sometimes and to turn everything around. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on the uh, the big the big uh, Miami win over Clemson. 
Yeah, man. Um, I wanted to ask you actually, because I know you already mentioned, uh, you mentioned Emery Williams. Before the game, you texted me, you were saying, oh yeah, you know, Van Dyke is apparently, apparently out, even though he's been healthy all week. Like, I don't know if, if Mario's trying to like mess with Clemson or I don't know what he's, what kind of tactic this is, but this is weird. And I, I, when you told me that, I was like, I hope Van Dyke plays. Like, I don't even know what to do with that information, you know. I, I, I when you said that, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a, something he would do, I guess. Like just to, like, it's not like an injury report came out or anything like that. So, how did you react when you saw Williams on the field when you were at the game? No, yeah, my my. So I, I'm gonna go back to yeah to the tweet I sent you whenever when that came out. Literally, all Canes fans on Twitter were just like lost, and there's even some like like reporters. I've never seen this. They're even like confused. They're like, what's like I've never seen this before. Like Crystal Ball said he was fully healthy and practicing, and then all of a sudden, a couple hours before kickoff, oh yeah, uh, he he's hardly practiced this week and he he's gonna be a game time decision. But honestly, when I saw Emery Williams take the field, I was just like, hey, so he's a hey, a true freshman, big opportunity for him. Like obviously Tyler's still the 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 guy here, but I mean Tyler could go to the draft after this year or return next year for his senior year. But, like, pretty soon this is going to be Emery's team. So, like, who better to start off against than Dabble Sweeney, you know, one of the best coaches of all time. And that's kind of my thoughts. I was just like, hey, like, this guy, yeah, like I said, true freshman, man, big opportunity. We're going to see what he's made of. And and then I want, I do want to say after the game, the, the first thing he did was, like, thank God. So I thought that was just, like, super cool. Um, on the make sure to mention that and, yeah, man. I was just like trying to have a positive mindset and being like, hey, maybe Clemson's not prepared for him, you know? <laughs> yeah. No. Hey, man. I love, I love a backup quarterback in college football, man. It's hard. I always say it. It's hard to play against a backup. You said he's a true freshman. Yeah, man. <laughs> there's first of all, even if they could have known that he was going to be the quarterback, there's no film on that guy. What high school film? What does that? What does that tell you? You know what I mean? Yeah, and he really only played piece. like in in two games this year, but like I mean, two drives each, you know, and two like blowouts, right, right. so like no. nothing. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like, what, what does that actually tell you? And it's not like they even had time, so they were not ready for that. It's crazy. Uh, wow. If the if the Miami reporters didn't know, there's no way Dabo and his people knew about that. For sure. So it looked like it worked out, and yeah, we were, we were able to make a huge stop, man. Double overtime, stop the Tigers' offense, man. Yeah, so we finally beat Dabo Sweeney. It's the first time we beat him. He yep, joined Clemson in 2006. It was crazy. <laughs> 2006 already, man? Yeah, they were showing it. Like, I noticed during the game, I was like, wow, that's insane. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. For sure. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, I'm I'm a proud Canes fan, man. And I'm hoping you could use this, you know, like, we could uh use this momentum to keep going forward. <laughs> Yeah, you know, first conference win of the year. So it's a big deal, whether it's against Clemson or anyone, but it just hits different. You know, Clemson is one of those teams that people have been like, you know, oh, you know, they're they're done. You know, they never had a dynasty. Dabo needs to go back to the drawing board. And like, you know, you look at the two games they lost. The Duke one was ugly, regardless. Even even though Duke has shown to be a good team, it was still ugly. It was still like a three-touchdown loss. Um then they lose to, um, to Florida State at home in a really, really, really tight one. Florida State's one of the best teams in the nation this year. So, you know, two good or great teams, whatever, and they lost. But this is a game that, you know, 
backup quarterback, Miami. They have never lost to Miami <laughs> since Dabo's been there. That that actually is it means something. You know what I mean? This is like this. If if anything, this has to be the wake up call for not just Clemson staff, but their fans and everyone involved. That there needs to be some changes. You know, um, this is not their standard. I'm not. I'm not knocking Miami. I'm just saying the way that the fact that they're four and three and they haven't. You know, they have all their losses are conference losses. Like it's unbelievable. I I could have never told you that you know at the beginning of the season it, it'd be this bad for them. So I'm gonna tip my hat to Miami because they played their tails off and they were they showed a lot of grit. I just, I watched the highlights of the of overtime and double overtime. The defense was on it for sure. So I'll give it to them for that hundred thousand percent. But Clemson is. It's it's so weird to see how how far they've fallen from grace, man. Yeah, one thing that since you said changes, right? Uh, one thing I would recommend for Clemson is uh maybe like search for a new offensive coordinator. That was just that was one thing I noticed, and specifically like in overtime too, it, it was kind of weird, the play call like the, the whoever I don't even I can't tell you who the play caller is. I I, I can tell you who the offensive coordinator is. Oh and you're oh not... my gosh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. No, Gary Riley, right? Yeah, okay. There you go. I'm sorry, I had a, a brain fart there. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't even believe I just said that. Yeah, exactly. When you said that, I was like, no way. In the off season, I was like, oh my gosh, they got Riley and look what, what they did said, last yeah. year and TCU. Um, yeah, I don't know what the hell. If he was like hung over, he went out the night before in Miami, but wow, that did not look like the guy that was at TCU last year. That was he even on the the final play where we stopped him. It's a fourth and go. From like what, like the twelve yard line, and he calls like a quarterback run. Wait, what? <laughs> what? What the heck is that? <laughs> Cole Klubnik. Uh, I even even if it, if they still had DJ Uyunglele under center, I don't like the call, but uh, it's it's insane. I, I agree with you. When I when they picked them up, I was like, oh, they're back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's he's gonna bring their offense. You know, they got Shipley. They got some weapons. They're going to be so nasty on offense. And I haven't seen, like, I've only seen little bits and pieces, like flashes of it. It's pretty disappointing, actually. Pretty sure. Super shocking. But, but yeah, let's move on now to an- another yeah. game. Another big ACC game <laughs> as of Virginia and uh, North Carolina, their first loss of the season. Um, How crazy is that, bro? <laughs> Dude, Virginia is cheeks. The fact that they were in this game at all, and it was in Chapel Hill, the fact that they was it was even competitive is embarrassing. It was we were talking about we talked we've been talking about North Carolina. We talked about uh, the win over Miami uh, and all this stuff. You know, Vontez Walker goes off again, uh, put, puts up crazy stats. His stats, I look at I'm looking at them right now, almost identical to Marvin Harrison Jr.'s stats. Um, and if you would have told me he did that against Virginia, I'd be like, yeah, sure, who cares? But if you told me that Drake May had a 50% completion rate, I'd have been like, all right, wait, hold on a second. What do you mean he had a 50% <laughs> completion rate? Okay, but they still won, right? You know, but they still won, right? Against Virginia, right? They won. And no, they lost. Virginia steals one in Chapel Hill. They shake the hell out of the ACC title race. Yeah. Um, it's Thank just, you, Virginia. <laughs> no, yeah, man. I mean, they, they helped out a lot of teams, man. Bro, it's I, – I was telling you before we recorded, it's like Georgia Tech beats Miami, Pitt beats Louisville, and um, Virginia beats UNC. Like, we talked about it last last episode. It was like, 
yeah, it's just the ACC, man. It's just how it is. <laughs> no, man. I, I mean, look at the Pac-12. Like, you know, there's that's that's the beauty of college football. Like Washington, after you know they beat Oregon and all this stuff, they almost lose to Arizona State. You know, uh, and there's like other like that cannibalism that they call it. You know, um, uh, we were talking about the Big Ten, how like the Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, like they could all just beat each other, and, and that you know what I mean. It's just and a loss in college football just means so much more. Like, like UNC was going to be cruising. They were looking real good. They were in the driver's seat, and they lose of all games to Virginia. Then they got Georgia Tech and Campbell. Like, they, they had three games to get ready for Duke. You know what I mean? And and they blew it. It's crazy. That's insane for sure. But, yeah, you mentioned that game there, Washington, um, their game. Yeah, how how crazy, like how do you feel about that after like the big game last week and now it just kind of, I don't know, it's wild to think about how it turned up. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, like you know, part of it is a hangover, you know, uh, yeah. hangover from like you know last week and like the you know the, the high of it. Uh, I don't know how hard those guys partied after that game, but still, you know, uh, Michael Penix uh, not with his best performance. Some people, you know, are already kind of jumping the gun saying. How could you like you know be a Heisman quarterback if you're putting up numbers like that against Arizona State? You know they're acting like you have to be, you know, God's gift to Earth. You have to be perfect <laughs> in everything you do, which which I get. You know, there's a lot of you know expectations that goes into the Heisman. You know, Heisman Trophy winner, especially a quarterback. He had two picks and not a single touchdown, which was interesting. You know, the uh, highest rusher for Washington. You know how many yards he rushed for, Rob? How many? Thirteen yards. Wow. So, uh, how they would? <laughs> I don't. I don't even know how they would. You want to hear something? They scored. It, the final score was fifteen to seven. Washington won. You know how many points Washington scored in the fourth quarter? Was it fifteen? Yeah. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> For twelve points wow. in the fourth quarter. So it was, you know, I mean, what a what a snooze fest, absolute snooze fest. But regardless, you know. It, they, they, you know, it was at home. Arizona State is not a good team, but I, at the end of the day, there's a, uh, you know, an extra number in their win column. We could have been talking about this game just like we talked about the last game with Virginia and North Carolina, but we're not. And I think, wow, like people are freaking out about this. This game's over. It's on to the next one for Washington. I'm glad they survived, but th- that just tells you you can't sleep on any game in college football, especially in the Pac-12, I feel like. But you cannot let your guard down against these teams. There's some teams that will sneak up on you for no reason. And not just for no reason. When you have a target on your back like that, sorry. When you have a target on your back like that, like when you have the number five next to your name or the number four, whatever it is, when you're undefeated, when you're top of your conference, when you are a big name school, right, you're always gonna have that target on your back. People are gonna play you like it's their Super Bowl, and you have to. Be, and if if you're a really truly a great team, you're gonna take care of business regardless. I agree, man. And speaking of like close games and, and how crazy college football is, how about Oklahoma narrowly, narrowly getting past the uh, University of Central Florida, man? How about <laughs> that, it's crazy. Hey, man, I'm gonna let my bias show a little bit and say thank God, thank God, thank God. UCF did not win that game. <laughs> I don't think I would have heard the end of it on Twitter or or from people I know that are 
big Knights fans, um, you know, because it, it was a close one, dude. It was really down to the wire. I was not expecting that at all. I was expecting, you know, a comfortable win um, from Oklahoma. But you know what? That Like you said, it was one of those – Dylan Gabriel against his former team. Yep. You know, <laughs> noon game, just uh, – Sometimes UCF offense, they really show up. Sometimes they don't. They showed up yes. big time when they needed to. They fell short. I'm going to give them props because, you know, it, it's regardless, of, you know, of what one of their teams sleeping on you or not, it's still impressive to take a team that's that good, playoff-worthy team at the moment down to the wire in their place. It's not hard. It's not easy to do that. I don't care who you are. Not you know. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, man. Nah, it's wild, but yeah, another another crazy game you want to talk about is uh Texas and their their crazy one. What what you think about that, dude? They honestly, honestly, I don't like saying this too often because I don't think it's always warranted. But the refs won them that game, man. Wow, well, I didn't I, watch. I, I, I didn't know. Yeah, it was controversial as hell, and I feel really bad because for Houston because I don't like to say that, but. Houston got screwed over by the refs, right? Some Damn. bad, by a bad call. I want you to, if you guys are listening right now, just look up, you know, the condensed version of the game and, and you'll see. I don't even want to spoil it for you. You'll see a certain call. They're good. Even the condensed version will make sure you see what happened because I couldn't believe what I was watching. It's fine. It, like I said, the game's over. Texas has a, another number in their win column, it, it is what it is. But you know, these guys are acting like they, you know, it's acting like they can just waltz into the playoff or waltz into their conference championship this year. It's really set up to be a chaotic year, man. There's no, there's no like games that you could just snooze by. Like they don't exist right now. Props to Houston for hanging in there. And, you know, these teams got some cleaning up to do. I think it starts with coaching. Seriously. Uh, that's wild, man. That's uh, I, I hate hearing that. It's like sad for the sport. And uh, officials have such a big impact. Uh, it reminds me, like, in the NFL this week, a lot of people felt that way about uh, Colts against the Browns. Um, Cleveland ends up winning that game, and there's a lot of controversial calls at the end there against Indianapolis that kind of makes you, like, think, like, hey, something fishy is going on here. But, I mean, what can you do? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, let's, going back to the NFL, I was watching the Steelers game yesterday, obviously. I live in Pittsburgh, for those of you who don't know, so. You know, big Stillers guy over here, but they uh, it was they actually won on a pretty, really controversial, in my opinion, call. Kenny Pickett, you know, had a, one of those like push push one yard runs to finish the game to get a first down, and he was short, man. He was short, and they did not give him the, um, they did not you know review it. These guys had no timeouts left. The Rams had no timeouts, and and it was just like nothing they could do. It was a bad call, and the game was over. It was crazy. Wow, man! But that you see, like, how how do the officials not review that at that at that critical point in the game? Like, yeah, because it was it, had, it was just just above two minutes left in the fourth quarter, so like, man, it, that's that's terrible the, to hear. The play before the two minute warning, literally, right. it's unbelievable. That's terrible, man. But what can you do? But yeah, another so another game I know you wanted to talk about was let me put it up really quick. It was uh, Utah. Obviously, you know, they pick up a big win against USC. And and we could also talk about their upcoming game, which is another big yeah. win against the Oregon I, Ducks. For sure, man. I really just want to say 
one thing get one thing off my chest. If you're one of those guys out there or or girls, I'm not gonna assume that says that Caleb Williams should opt out for the rest of the season. Oh my! Please, please never comment or n- never comment on college football ever again. Please just stick stick to the NFL, stick to fantasy football. Stick to all that shit. All, all sorry, excuse my language. I know this is a family show, Rob. <laughs> get get out of here with that. You do not understand. This is this is not just a stepping stone for someone's career. It's it's more than that. All right, there's more to play for. I don't care if you lost two games. Boo hoo! You won the Heisman last year. People are saying, "Oh man, you know the greatest college quarterback." Uh, greatest what? What what has he done? Like he won a Heisman. <laughs> People, I'm, Rob, I'm not making that up. People are uh, saying that on Twitter, and I'm like, and I don't know if they're messing around or not, or if they just don't know what they're talking about. I want that's, that's the majority, you know, yeah. especially on social media. They all think they know, and they don't. They have no idea what's going on. But my well, bad. Well, I, I like I said, I just want them to, to shut up because that, that's un, unbelievable. He's still going to be one of the highest, one of the most highly touted draft picks of all time, as he should be. You, you don't need to. You know, take your team to a championship to be a great NFL quarterback or to be a good college football quarterback. Um, give the guy a break. You know, he's he's not playing his best ball right now. But don't act like Utah has not won the Pac-12 the last two years. Don't act like Utah has not exposed USC these past two years. You know what I mean? So it's it, they're just they're kryptonite at this point. There's nothing you could do about it. Let the kids. Let he's still how old is Caleb Williams, Rob? I mean. I would say 22, probably 21. <laughs> He's a kid, man. But let the guy play the game of football for the love of God. Don't don't tell him to pull out. Uh, you know, eight games into the season because he's gonna he has to get ready for the NFL. Get out of here with that. That's a that's loser mentality. Hundred percent. Hundred percent loser mentality for sure. But but yeah, man. How excited are you though for for Utah's next game now, man? Against Oregon. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, this is this is it. Like. Both of these teams need this win so bad. If Oregon loses again, their their title shots are done. Um, Utah has won the Pac-12 the last two years. People, oh, they always sleep on Utah. They p- keep people keep forgetting that they've won it the last two years. So you know, Cam Rising, they just announced he's not going to be back for the season. He's he got shut down for the rest of the season, so it's a huge loss for them. But they've been doing fine up until this point. Um, games in Salt Lake City. So, honestly, I don't think this is one of the picks that they had for us on ESPN, Rob, but uh, I'm just going to go out and say, I give me Utah, man. I'm with this 100%. They're at home. <laughs> they, they're nasty at home, and and I don't know, man. So I have a weird feeling about this. I think Oregon is a better team and more complete team, and I love what they're doing. But, but man, this, is, this game has such huge implications on the Pac-12 race. It's insane. It, the playoff, too, but – but like even shorter sided than that, um, so let's let's see what Bonex and his squad can put together. But Kyle Whittingham and his squad, they're gonna bring it. It's gonna be must watch TV. It's at three thirty. Got you three thirty. All right, now gotta write that down. And but yeah, no next game to talk about, bro. Obviously, this one means a lot more. <laughs> so Florida <laughs> against Georgia, man. How how excited are you? For this well, game. Sure, yeah, man, make sure you have two screens on you because that one's also at 3.30. <laughs> uh, world's largest outdoor cocktail party, man. But um, <laughs> it's funny, the, the last time Georgia has lost a regular season game was to the Gators. 
in 2020. Uh, I remember watching that game. I remember vividly watching that game. I have a story about that, but we don't have enough time for that today. <laughs> uh, but, but man, you know, a lot of people are, you know, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season that people are going to be really interested in, like, this game, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have been like, nah, you know, Georgia's going to kick the crap out of us, whatever. But I think people are people are not going to be insanely surprised if Florida, you know, makes some noise in this game. They've been on a little hot streak. They look really good. Graham Merch is one of the most consistent um, quarterbacks across the country right now. Um, they have a good offense. Their defense shows up when they need to. Um, Armstrong, the young DC, he's under thirty year old, under thirty year old defensive coordinator that they have out of Florida, um, brings some a lot of energy and a lot of you know creativity to the defensive scheme. But but Georgia man, like it all comes down to which Georgia shows up. Is it the one that played against Kentucky and like absolutely embarrassed them in front in front of their family and loved ones? Or is it going to be the Georgia that showed up against Vandy that was like, okay, Vandy scored 20 points on us. Like, uh, that's kind of kind of concerning, I guess. But whatever, you know, we won. You know, because it's a rivalry game, man. You know, both of these these teams, they hate each other. It's not even like the, if you look at that stadium, it's blue and red. There's no mixing. They hate each other. It's an awesome atmosphere. It could be a great game. Um, if I had to pick this game, I'd lean Georgia, obviously. But um, one of two things is going to happen. And I know this is kind of like a stupid thing to say, but one of two things is going to happen. Either the, the Gators are going to get wrecked bad or they're going to keep it within one score. There's no in between. Got you. Got you, bro. Oh, yeah. My biggest thing, like takeaway or whatever, is like, man, with these ri- rivalry games, like throw everything out the window. That's how I feel. Yeah. And especially in college football. Um, yeah, I just yeah, throw everything out the window. We're both zero and zero, and bro, you like you said, you both hate each other. Just freaking go at it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. two boxers, bro. <laughs> like two heavyweights. No, yeah, for sure. And like, <laughs> and it's like two boxers that have so like some like the Gators have not too much to lose, but so much to gain from this win. And, you know, sure, and, bro. And then look, but the same thing goes for Georgia, man, because they need to keep proving to people that they're legit. Like some people are like saying that since their schedule is so soft, like, oh, if they lose one game, they shouldn't make the playoff. Like, no, they can't. They cannot let people think that. They need to take matters into their own hands, you know? And, and bro, and not just, like, playoff implications, but you know what I think, too? Man, I think Nick Saban, like, if Georgia loses this game, and you see the way Alabama's playing, it's like, I think the, the who they should be scared the most of right now is Nick Saban. <laughs> He's going to be red. I don't know. I, I'm just... That that's a game we didn't we haven't talked about, but wow, well, Alabama just <laughs> twenty seven unanswered, right? To yeah. win, yeah, well, yeah. And we talked about it last week. Like like Saban knows how to. I mean, he he's always adjusting. He's done this how many years in a row? And yeah, that's why I think Georgia like uh, the Gators pull pull this game out. And man, Saban's gonna be like, man, I think he's gonna be even more excited. I don't know. <laughs> Don't know why teams keep letting Alabama have life. I don't know why they don't just like Texas A&M had them, Tennessee had them. They need to. I'm not saying I'm not going to say USF had them. It was a close game. Yeah, it was close. Though. It, it was, was close. close. But these teams need to step on Alabama's throat when they get the chance and get rid of them. They have they're most dangerous with the one loss. There's been so many Alabama teams 
that I've seen with one loss that look way better than any of the undefeated teams because Nick Saban knows how to rally those guys. He knows how to get them hyped. He knows how to get them focused. But they keep letting them live. And like you said, I think no people aren't talking about them as much because they're not what they're used to seeing from Alabama. But if you let them get into the SEC title game with one loss and you're limping into it, like let's say you're Georgia limping into that game, they're going to expose you. For I don't sure. care. I don't care who you have on the on that starting front. They're going to expose you. Nick Sam is going to cook something up, especially because of how mad he is. He he always gets his revenge, bro. He always does. Don't don't give him the chance to get his revenge. That's all I'm going to say. Not 100%. But, yeah, man. So, a couple more games uh, coming up this weekend that we want to talk about. So, Ohio State and Wisconsin. And then we're going to get into uh, Duke and Louisville. But, yeah, Ohio State and Wisconsin. Um, well. What are your like expectations for this one? Yeah, honestly, this is gonna be a, a interesting game. It's at Wisconsin. You know, Luke Fickle uh, took over this season. He's uh, I think he's been doing a pretty good job. They're five and two on the season, three and one in conference play. But Ohio State, you know, just came off that huge win against Penn State. Um, honestly, yeah, it's 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 like not. I don't think they're looking at it as like too much of a big deal right now. Because, you know, their schedule after this is going to get real soft. So they're just going to take care of business. They got Rutgers. They got Michigan State, who just got steamrolled by Michigan, Minnesota. So, like, pretty, like, whatever, Big Ten competition. And then they're going to look ahead to Michigan, last game of the season. So this seems like the last hurdle that they have to jump until they see Michigan. Um, Last major hurdle, I'll say. But, um but yeah, man, let's see. I want to see what Wisconsin could do because, you know, uh, uh, what's it? The quarterback, uh, Morde- Tanner Mordecai, uh, has had some flashes, man. You know, he's not, he, I've seen better from him. Mm-hmm. And I want to continue to see better from him. Let, let's see what they can cook up. Let's see what Fickle cooks up. Uh, it's going to be one of those games, like, you know, we can't overlook this, right? Uh, you know, I, give me Ohio State in this one all day, but it's, it's they can't just, Pretend like this game isn't gonna happen. Got you, bro. All right, so the final game that we're gonna cover for coming up this weekend: Duke and Louisville. That's a huge one, and specifically in the ACC. Um, I'm excited. I I I just want to see who comes out on top. I don't know. Uh, what do you think? What do you think is gonna happen there? No, I want I want to hear what you got to say about this one, man. Nah, Duke and Louisville. I mean, uh, two of the most. I think. Uh, how do I describe them? I would say they kind of came into the to. This season, like, kind of low-key. I think they've opened up some eyes. Um, uh, Louisville beats Notre Dame. That's a huge win. Uh, Duke, they, uh, they've they got multiple games without their starting quarterback. And I know this past game, he was shaken up again. Uh, but I do know that Duke has, like, one of the top defenses in the country. And uh, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to say my pick right now because uh, that's one of the games we have. I'm going to pick him. But, yeah, I mean – I, I don't know. I think, like, uh, either team could win, but I'm feeling one side more than the other. But like I said, I'll say, I'll say that now in the next couple of minutes. So share your picks, but what do you think? Yeah, man, I think the word you're looking for is enigmatic. I don't think we would have, you know, expected this to be such a big matchup this late into the season. But yeah. both these teams have won conference loss. So whoever wins this game, you know, has a real shy making the ACC championship game if the cards fall their way. But the team who loses it is is like pretty toasted honestly so um it's it's uh, honestly this game is a coin flip to me 
could be a really really competitive one. For sure. All right. So for our last portion of uh this college football segment here, we're gonna get into our our picks. We go to what is it, ESPN college pick them. Uh, but yeah, man, you want to start us off? So the first matchup is uh this game we just talked about, right? Duke um, and Louisville. So yeah, so I'm, not gonna, I'm not even gonna say anything else. I'm just gonna go with my pick, man. Give me the cards. All right, I got Duke. <laughs> I knew it. I swear I knew it. I, I... Yeah, I just I I feel Duke's defense is gonna be too much, but like I said obviously anything could happen. But uh, yeah, for the following matchup, I'll start off here. So it's Iowa State against Baylor. And uh, this might be a shocker, I don't know, but I'm feeling Baylor in this one. Uh, how about you? Yeah, man, I actually got the same one. I'm going with Dave Aranda and the Bears at home. Let's go. All right, so next matchup, who do you have? It's Miami of Ohio against Ohio. <laughs> Honestly, I wonder how – I don't really know too much about these teams, but I wonder how much of a big deal this game is to these two schools. Uh, yeah. I'm sure it's got to be some kind of rivalry, but not, not one I would be too familiar with. Give me the Bobcats. I got Ohio. And a close I'm, one. I'm with you. Same here. So, same pick so far. Oh, no, no. Except the first game, I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, next up, we have Purdue and Nebraska. Um, Purdue's two and five on the year. Nebraska is at four and three. And Matt Rule, his first year there. I have Matt Rule and the Cornhuskers in this one. All right. You're just copying my picks, obviously. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to go with Matt Rule, too. I don't, I'm not impressed with what I've seen from Purdue this year. So, uh, give me the Cornhuskers at home. Got you. All right. The next one, we, we both gave our, our picks, right? Yeah. Oregon we both against, said the Utes. Yeah, against Utah. We both have the Utes in that one. Then we have Wyoming at five and two, like playing against Boise State uh, at three and four. I have Boise State in this one. Uh, how about you? <laughs> Man, I, I've seen like a couple of like Boise State's like highlights of the games. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and act like I've watched their whole games, but. I Wyoming has been pretty like quietly good this season. Give me the Cowboys. Got you, man. All right, next matchup. Cowboys uh, to buck the Broncos. That's funny, actually. That's oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, next matchup, a good SEC game. Uh, Tennessee, number twenty-one in the country, a uh, five and two, uh, playing in Kentucky, uh, who is also five and two. Um, who who do you have in this one, man? Yeah, this is a a really big rivalry, a really big deal in the SEC. Tennessee coming off that embarrassing loss that we were talking about. But um, give me the Wildcats. Honestly, they've had some flashes, of, you know, against the Gators, against some other teams that they could really just pound the ball. Um, and they, they have pretty good defense, too. I, I still see Tennessee struggling for the most part. Um, I have a feeling that most people are going to disagree with this pick. But, yeah, give me Kentucky. I'm with you, bro. I have the Wildcats too. There you go. <laughs> Next matchup, we have uh, Troy at five and two against Texas State at five and two. And this one, I I went with the Troy Tr- Trojan. Sorry, I I knew another name, but there you go. How about you? <laughs> yeah, give me the Trojan man. <laughs> All right. Next up, number eleven, <laughs> Oregon State at six and one, playing against number. I mean, you know, number playing against the four and three Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> Who do you have in this one, bro? <laughs> bro, you you've known since the beginning of the year, Oregon State is my sleeper pick to win the Pac-12. Yeah, my sleeper got- pick, and that that bet that I have for them yeah, is going we- is looking good so far, man. But um, so give me the Beavers. Don't sleep on this game. I have a feeling this is going to be a, one of those Pac-12 games that. That's real close. I would not be surprised at all if Arizona won, to be honest with you. 
Got you. I'm going here with, yeah, I'm with you, Oregon State. Like you said, I put a, a bet on them too to win the conference. And um, But I, although I did pick Oregon State, I want to shout out Arizona. Um, one of their safeties, Isaiah Taylor. He's uh, the oldest son of my favorite football player ever, Jason Taylor. So I wanted to make sure to get that in there. And um, final matchup to pick here, we have the 6-1 and one UNLV Rebels against the 6-1 and one Fresno State Bulldogs. I'm, I picked uh, Fresno State in this one. Uh, but honestly, I, I don't know much about these teams, but just one of my gut there. What, what yeah. do you think? No, it's a good, good pick. Um, I also want Fresno State. Bulldogs are looking real good this year. Uh, I don't have too much to say about that, but I do want to say something about what you just said. You know, I was, I was talking to some some friends of mine yesterday, Robert, we were watching the Steelers game. Could you believe they didn't know who Jason Taylor was, man? That um, That's, uh, yeah. I don't know how, how to feel about that. It's kind of sad. It, it was I feel like bad a, for them. <laughs> it was like a culture shock in a way. I was like, what do you mean you don't know who Jason Taylor is? I showed them a picture and they go, oh, he kind of looks familiar. Wow. Not that. And maybe they started watching football like later or something, but I mean, nah, it's no not way. like he played thirty years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they know they knew Joey Porter. So oh, no. like, oh, okay. But Jason Taylor, I mean, it's not just because Miami, but like he's one of the best pass rushers in NFL history. That's why. that's what I'm saying. I I, I don't. That doesn't make I sense. Know that we're ending our <laughs> our college football talk with with NFL talk, but I just needed to tell you that that was almost like a culture shock to me. It's yeah. crazy. You know what's crazy about that? You know where he was born? In Don't Pittsburgh. No, he was. Like Dan Marino and Jason Taylor, like two of the greatest Dolphins yeah. ever, are from Pittsburgh. Uh, kind of random, but pretty cool. That's unbelievable. That's so funny. What a what irony, bro. And one more shout out though. Speaking of the Taylors, you know, uh, LSU tight end Mason Taylor, yes, sophomore. He's a. I think he's gonna be a superstar. Only in his second year, and he's damn good. Like, he was yeah. great as a freshman. And so, yeah, Mason and Isaiah uh, following in their father's footsteps. And uh, are you, man, any other thoughts, bro, Co- college football? Nah, man, make sure you guys watch these games. They're going to be good ones. They're going to really set the tone for the rest of the season. We're past the halfway point. So. Let's go. Gators, uh, shock the world. Go Gators, baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, so for the next segment on today's sports episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking some Major League Baseball playoffs. As uh, last night, the 2023 American League champion was decided as the Texas Rangers clobbered the Houston Astros 11-4. Adolis Garcia, the Rangers outfielder, superstar outfielder, becomes the fifth Cuban-born player in MLB history to win MVP of a league championship series. So shout-out to Adolis Garcia, the Guano, making history. Love to see it. Um, Speaking of Garcia, he also broke history once again as he breaks the MLB record for the most RBIs in any postseason series. Uh, He broke it with 14 RBIs, and he hit five home runs in the series against the Astros. And... I'm smiling from ear to ear um, because, uh, yeah, of course, because he's Cuban. You know, I'm Cuban as well, so it's amazing to see. But to see the Rangers, um, such a young team, it's been an incredible journey for them. They started off the regular season as one of the best teams in baseball. They're over 20 – they're 25 games to over 500 at the All-Star break. 
then the, the final uh, weekend of the regular season, they end up losing their first place position that they had the whole year to the Astros. And now they knock the Astros out of the playoffs and they are now heading to the World Series, baby. So that's incredible. And uh, yeah, I mean, they will be hosting game one of the World Series on Friday night in, in Texas. And uh, um, in terms of their opponent, we're going to have to wait and see as tonight the Philadelphia Phillies play host to the Arizona Diamondbacks in game seven of the National League Championship Series. Um, that one's been a, a fun series as well. You know, Philly started out hot. Then uh, the Diamondbacks have been able to fight back. And, yeah, it's going to come up, come down to one game, just like the Astros and Rangers series. So uh, I think this has been one of the best uh, MLB postseasons in a very long time. It's been very competitive, and it's just been incredible as well to see the young talent that's uh, going to be taking over Major League Baseball pretty soon. Um, you think of Corbin Carroll um, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. You think of uh, the three rookies um, for the Texas Rangers. And, uh, and then you look at that Philly team. Of course, you, you look at Bryce Harper. You look at uh, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber. But you also have Bryson Stott. You also have Alec Boom. And uh, um, what is it? And then in Houston, uh, obviously, they're eliminated. But, of course, you you know, Altuve, whatever, you know, a veteran. Jordan Alvarez, yeah, he's a veteran. But, I mean, he's still, like, pretty young, I would say. And, um, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's just a very exciting time, you know, for, for Major League Baseball. And they really needed this um, a season like this and specifically a postseason like this. And, like I said, arguably the most exciting postseason in a very, very long time. And, uh, and yeah, the Texas Rangers will be hosting game one of the 2023 World Series on Friday night in Texas. And uh, their opponent, like I said, will be decided tonight. It will either be the Arizona Diamondbacks or the Philadelphia Phillies. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see which team comes out on top as uh, National League champions. Will Philly return to the World Series or will Arizona beat them and uh, um, advance to the World Series in uh, Texas? So, yeah, make sure to tune into that Game 7 tonight between the Phillies and Diamondbacks and stay tuned for Game 1 of the 2023 World Series on Friday night in Arlington, Texas. And, uh, yeah, that wraps up today's baseball segment for the podcast. All right, guys, so for the final topic of today's sports edition of the Flame Entertainment and Sports, I'm going to be covering the NBA as the season officially tips off tonight, October 24th. So the first two games of the NBA season will be occurring, like I said, tonight. First one starts at 7.30 as the defending champion Denver Nuggets host LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers followed by a 10 p.m. showdown between Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns flying to San Francisco, a face-off against Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors. With all that said, my season officially tips off on Wednesday night as the Miami Heat play host to the Detroit Pistons on Wednesday here in Miami at the Caseya Center. Um, but, yeah, so those are the first uh, couple of games of the season. Now that said, I'm going to give some NBA predictions, being that, of course, the season tips off tonight, like I said. So I'm going to start off with the eight teams I have making the NBA playoffs in each conference. I'm going to start off in the Eastern Conference, from starting from the one seed and ending with the eighth and final seed. I have the Boston Celtics at number one. 
I have the Philadelphia 76ers at number two, the Milwaukee Bucks at number three, the Miami Heat at number four, the Indiana Pacers at number five, the Toronto Raptors at number six, the Cleveland Cavaliers at number seven, and the New York Knicks at number eight. So I'm going to talk a little bit about each of these teams and kind of, you know, um, talk about how their off seasons went. So obviously, you know, I have Boston at number one. Um, in my opinion, they did. There was one decision that they decided to do that I completely uh, disagree with, which was trading away Marcus Smart, who, in my opinion, ever since they drafted him many, many years ago out of Oklahoma State University, he uh, has been the heart and soul of that Celtics organization. So I think that's a tremendous loss for, for Boston. Um, but And, yeah, he now joins the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, and uh, with that said, um, uh, to talk a, a little bit about a couple of additions for Boston in the offseason, it did add Chris Stapps Porzingis, um, who they got in the in the trade that traded away Smart, which was a three-team deal between Boston, Washington, and Memphis. Of course, Porzingis, uh, he's bounced around the league now. He was a former top pick with the Knicks. Um, he's played some time with, uh, what is it, with Dallas and, of course, Washington. And now he's at uh, another stop now in Boston. And the key with Porzingis is uh, health and consistency. Uh, there are times where he looks like one of the best players in the league. But then there are also times where you forget he's in the game. So it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, you know, how he fits into to what Boston is planning on doing. Um, other than Porzingis, they did also add Drew Holiday, you know, the former Milwaukee Bucks championship point guard. That's a tremendous addition. Um, and I feel by getting Holiday, a cop uh, occupies a lot of what Smart brought to the table in terms of, you know, playing with heart, being a, a leader on and off the court, being a great example for his teammates. And, uh, and yeah, an all-around great player. You know, Drew's a great, you know, he's an elite defender. He's a great offensive player as well. And I think that was a tremendous addition. Um, of course, they got Holiday from Portland after he was traded from Milwaukee to Portland in the Damian Lillard trade. And uh, someone else they added is uh, Wenyan Gabriel, a young big man who was on the Lakers the last couple of years. And um, that's a sneaky pickup there for Boston. And another thing to talk about, they extended Peyton Pritchard to a four-year deal. The point guard, the scrappy, um, big-hearted point guard there for the Celtics. Um, so my number two seed, I mean, to them now, Philadelphia 76ers, of course. Um, there's always stuff going around. I mean, going on within the, you know, clown show there in Philly. But, I mean, yeah, have them finishing number two um, the regular season and, uh, you know, heading to the playoffs. But to talk about a couple moves they made this offseason, of course, James Harden is looking like he's going to be traded at any day now. Um, they added Patrick Beverly, Mo Bamba. So Patrick Beverly, of course, a scrappy uh, defender. Um, Mo Bamba, a young center who has yet to fully reach the expectations in which um, people had for him, but he is still very young. You know, he's played for Orlando. Ended last season with the Lakers, and now he will be backing up Joel and beat out there in Philly. Um, they also added Kelly Oubre, um, Kelly Oubre Jr. Um, they added him for their for you know as a good rotational piece there in Philly. He he like Porzingis, who uh, I mentioned with Boston. Same thing with him. Like you know, he sh shows these flashes, but a lot of times like he kind of disappears on the court. And the uh, Philly also uh, 
brought in uh, Danny Green, the longtime Spurs three-point shooter. Those are a couple, you know, veterans that Philly was able to nap down in the offseason. Then the third seed in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, uh, the highlight here, they trade for Damian Lillard. Um, I have a, a whole episode on that, a bonus episode, so if you guys want to check that out. It's from a couple weeks ago, actually. A couple hours after Dame was traded to Milwaukee. Um, they also retained Jay Crowder. They signed Malik Beasley. I think that's a really good signing. He's a really good three-point shooter, and uh, he's provided a lot of spark for a couple teams in his career. Minnesota, Denver, to name a few. Um, oh, yeah, they brought back Chris Middleton, and they bring back Brick Lopez, two key uh, cogs to that. So what they've been able to do um, in the Giannis Antetokounmpo era there in Milwaukee, um, they bring in Cameron Payne, who I believe is one of the best backup point guards, if not the best backup point guard in all of basketball. Um, of course, he was drafted years ago uh, by the Oklahoma City Thunder. He never really panned out there. He went overseas for a couple years, and a couple years ago, James Jones and the Suns gave him an opportunity, and he turns into one of the best role players in all of basketball. I think that's a nice addition for Milwaukee. Um, they kept Jay Crowder, who they added um, in the middle of last season, and they keep him. And um, there's one more guy. Oh, yeah, Robin Lopez. They signed, of course, the, the, the identical twin brother, Brooke Lopez. So that's cool. The Lopez brothers reunited in Milwaukee. Um, and one thing I'm really looking at in terms of uh, how Milwaukee is going to do this season, in my opinion, is their, their new head coach. Um, of course, they fired Mike Budenholzer, who led them to a championship just a couple years ago. And they they up they promoted, I would say upgraded, same thing, upgraded one of their assistants in Adrian Griffin to being the head man now um, in charge of the coaching staff there in Milwaukee. And it's going to be interesting to see um, a rookie head coach with this, uh, you know, a lot of star players on, on a roster. We're going we're gonna to have to wait and see, and only time will tell as to how good Milwaukee will be. And then for my fourth seed, of course, I have my Miami Heat. Um, you know, the Heat were getting back Tyler Hero after he missed the playoffs, after exiting with an injury in game one against Milwaukee. Well, we bring back Kevin Love. All you need is love. You already know. I'm so happy that he decided to stay here in Miami. Uh, we signed Thomas Bryant, the veteran big, who was with the Denver Nuggets last year, who, of course, beat us in the finals. Um, we bring back um, one of one, uh, a fan favorite in Josh Richardson um, after trading him to Philadelphia um, um, in exchange for Jimmy Butler. Now Jay Rich and Jimmy will be able to play alongside each other and kind of be happier to have Jay Rich in Miami. We drafted Jaime Jaquez, the versatile uh, forward guard, whatever you want to call him, out of UCLA. Um, Nikola Jovic, our, our rookie pick from last year. Um, many, uh, many fans are excited to see what he could do this year. And uh, um, we also upgraded uh, Drew Smith, who's been within our organization for the last couple of years, mainly in the G League, uh, to a standard contract. Uh, Cole Swider is a guy we signed who was really with the Lakers G League team last year. He's a great three-point shooter. He's one of our two-way contracts. Um, and, yeah, I'm just very excited. I think that he have another run in them. And you'll hear now um, in a couple minutes when I talk about my predictions, uh, you're going to hear the confidence I have in this Miami Heat organization, coaching staff, and, and all the players here. And, yeah, and Jimmy Butler, man, can't wait to see him ball out again. And, like I said, the Heat. Um, tip off their season Wednesday night here in Miami at the Kaseya Center against the Detroit Pistons. My fifth seed, move on to them now, the Indiana Pacers. Um, the way I describe the Pacers uh, every year is a uh, big-hearted, um, 
they they don't stop. They keep going. And I have much uh, respect for the Pacers organization. Talk about what they did in the offseason. They have a huge acquisition as they signed Bruce Brown, the former Miami Hurricane, and uh, the former Denver Nugget to a two-year deal after he absolutely balled out in the playoffs and in the finals for the Nuggets. He now joins the Indiana Pacers alongside one of the best young guards in the league and Tyrese Halliburton. Speaking of Halliburton, he signed a five-year extension this summer to stay in Indiana for, for the near future. They also add in Obi Toppin, um, who was with the New York Knicks for a couple of years, a, a young big there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just have a really great feeling about this Pacers team. Uh, Halliburton has been good since his rookie year, but I think this year he's really going to pop off. And Bruce Brown, I think that's a tremendous addition for this Pacers uh, roster. And uh, um, oh, and by the way, they they still do have Buddy Hield and Miles Turner after a uh, hundred years in a row of trade discussions. But yeah, I I I think this is gonna be a surprising pick to have Indiana at five for most people. But you know, I'm going with my gut, and I really believe in what Rick Carlisle and uh, the Pacers are doing over there in Indianapolis. At number six, I have the Toronto Raptors, which might be another shocker for a lot of people, as, of course, they lost um, their all-star point guard, Fred Van Fleet. They lost him to the Houston Rockets this offseason. Um, they bring in Dennis Schroeder, another veteran point guard, uh, going to Van Fleet's uh, place. They signed Garrett Temple, a veteran rotational piece, and they signed Jalen McDaniels as well, and uh, and they re, uh, re-signed Jakob Pertl, the big young center, and uh, yeah, I think Scott, you know, Scotty Barnes and these guys, I think they're gonna, you know, uh, impress some people, and yeah, ultimately make the playoffs this year. At number seven in the East, East I have the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are one of the most uh, surprising stories a year ago. Um, the, their first year of having Donovan Mitchell, Cleveland made a lot of noise. Of course, they retain uh, retain that line that uh, team of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, uh, and the list goes on. Um, aside from those guys, they also did bring in a couple pieces as they bring in Max Struess, of course, formerly of the Miami Heat, a great three and D guy, plays with a lot of heart. They bring in Georges Niang, who had arguably his best season of his career a year ago with the Philadelphia 76ers, another great 3-and-D player there for the Cavs. They re-signed Karis LeVert, the guard, to a two-year deal. They bring in Damian Jones, the former Warriors backup center. They bring in their former center and uh, Cleveland Cavalier champion Tristan Thompson. And I think the Cavaliers had a, a very nice low-key uh what do you call it, offseason. I think this seeding might be a little low for most people, but like I said, I go with my gut here. And uh, yeah, and then for my final seed, the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, I had the, I have the New York Knicks sneaking in. Uh, talk about what the Knicks did this offseason. So, of course, they they uh, retain, you know, Jalen Brunson, who looked incredible last year, the point guard J, uh, Julius Randle. It's going to be fun to see another year of growth for the, for the young forward. Um, and they also they bring in Dante DiVincenzo, the former Warrior and Bucks um, guard. They signed him to a four-year deal, and he is now reunited with his college teammates and Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart. Speaking of Hart, he stayed in New York and agreed to a four-year extension. And uh, yeah, I have the Knicks, you know, sneaking in there, the final spot in the East.
Now to move on to the West. So starting from one to eight, we have the Denver Nuggets at number one, the Golden State Warriors at number two, and the Minnesota Timberwolves at number three, the Dallas Mavericks at number four, the Los Angeles Lakers at number five, the Phoenix Suns at number six, the Sacramento Kings at number seven, and at number eight, we have the Los Angeles Clippers with some teams, um, honorable mentions in the West. Uh, I have the Oklahoma City Thunder, Utah Jazz, and this one might be surprising, but the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, I know a team that's missing here is Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies, but like I said, I'm going with my gut, and uh, I'm not really feeling the Grizzlies this year. Um, but now to, to go into, like, what these Western Conference teams did in the offseason. So, of course, the Denver Nuggets, they're reigning champions. Fortunately for them, they lost arguably their best bench piece in Bruce Brown. They also lost another bench piece in uh, Jeff Green and, of course, Thomas Bryant, who I mentioned earlier, who signed with the Heat. Uh, and, and in terms of who they added, they brought in Justin Holiday, the veteran guard. Um, they re-signed Zeke Naji, the youngster, to a four-year extension. And Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan decided to stay there in Denver. And um, both of them on multi-year deals. So, yeah, the defending champions, like I said, tip off um, the first official game of the season as they play host to LeBron and the Lakers tonight. Um, following them, I have the Golden State Warriors, like I said, at number two. Of course, a big highlight for them this offseason was trading for Chris Paul, which came as an absolute shock. So it's gonna definitely be definitely gonna be fun and interesting to see Chris Paul uh playing alongside Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, and the list goes on. Speaking of Draymond Green, he will not be playing in their first game of the season tonight. He is out against the Phoenix Suns with an ankle injury. Um, but yeah, Chris Paul will be making his Wizards debut against the team that traded him away in the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they also brought in another veteran guard in Corey Joseph, one of my favorite backup point guards in the league. Uh, they bring in Dario Saric, the long time, I mean, not long time, but the former 76er. Oh, and former son as well. So he'll be playing, facing off against his whole team as well, just like Chris Paul. But yeah, I think the Warriors are going to make a lot of noise this year. Um, I mean, the noise hasn't stopped. They're, they're usually, I mean, a championship contender year in and year out. But um, yeah, I'm very excited for this Warriors team this year. At number three, I have the Minnesota Timberwolves, which might come as a surprise to a lot of people. Um, Minnesota, they were able to extend Anthony Edwards, their superstar, to a five-year extension. They bring back Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a great young guard. They sign um, Nas Reed um, on a three-year deal to stay in Milwaukee, the, the, young, the young big man there. And because of how good Nas Reed has, has looked, there are some rumblings that Carl Anthony Towns, a longtime Timberwolves center, may be on the trade block. And and keep in mind that I, I, I did take that into consideration, but I do think Nas Reed is so good that I still believe in Minnesota, even if Towns stays or, or is traded away. Uh, they signed former Sixers point guard Shake Milton, and uh, they also re-signed Jaden McDaniels, a great young player, on a five-year extension, just like Anthony Edwards. And, uh, yeah, I just think Minnesota, they're going to be a lot better than what people think. And Anthony Edwards is just going to keep growing and growing and growing. Naj Reed is going to keep growing and growing and growing. And I think that team's going to make a lot of noise and shock a lot of NBA and basketball fans uh, this season. And number four, I have Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks, the Slovenian. <laughs> But yeah, speaking of Dallas, so let's see what they did this offseason. Um, they agreed to a two-year deal with Seth Curry. 
they agree to let me see. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot this already. It's been so long, but Kyrie Irving um agrees to stay in Dallas on a three year deal. They signed Derek Jones Jr., the former Miami Heat high flyer and um NBA dunk contest champion. They re-signed Markeith Morris. They re-signed Dwight Powell. Oh, and I forgot this one. This is a significant one. They they actually got Grant Williams for the for the Celtics from the Celtics, and I think that's a tremendous move. Uh, bringing in Grant Williams, of course, retaining Kyrie Irving, um, and having a, a nice solid you know bench unit. Uh, uh Derrick Jones there, and uh, oh, that's right. They also got Rashawn Holmes, the former uh King Center. I like that move as well. So I think Dallas is gonna make some noise once again, and uh, um, ultimately we're gonna have to wait and see what they. What they do and how they look in the playoffs, because unfortunately they haven't had much luck in the or success in the playoffs as of yet. And Luka Doncic's uh, young superstar um, career. And number five, I have LeBron James, his twenty first season with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I have them, you know, as the fifth seed in the West. Um, the Lakers bring in Gabe Vincent, the former Heat point guard, on a three year deal. That one still doesn't feel right. <laughs> they also bring in Christian Wood, a young. Um, big man, um, to on a two year deal, they keep D'Angelo Russell, they extend Anthony Davis, they bring back Rui Hachimura, they signed Jackson Hayes. I forgot about that one, the former um, backup center of the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, they brought in Torian Prince, too. I forgot that one, too. A nice veteran forward, um, could shoot threes, could play some defense, actually, tr- uh, contributed nicely. Last year for Minnesota, even in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, that's right. They they bring back Austin Reeves, who I think is just going to keep getting better and better. And those are just some notable things that, you know, that I wanted to mention within the Lakers. Um, Like I said, are my fifth seed in the West. Then number six, I would say are, are maybe the favorites for a lot of people, which are the Phoenix Suns. Of course, the Phoenix Suns, <laughs> they had a very um, busy offseason as they bring in Bradley Beal. <laughs> Bring in Bradley Beal, uh, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, Yusuf Nurkic from the Portland Trail Blazers. They bring they sign the young big man Bull Bull. They bring in Eric Gordon, a longtime veteran three point shooter. They retain Damian Lee, the former Golden State Warrior champion. Um, they re-sign Joshua Kogi, who I think is one of the most underrated. Role players in the league, the former Minnesota Timberwolves and Timberwolves player. And uh, they also signed Yudo Watana, Watanabe, who played with Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the Suns are the favorites for many people. Of course, you know, KD with Booker, um, Beal. So, yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see ultimately what Phoenix does this coming season. And they also have a new uh, head coach and a uh, former Lakers in Indiana. Pacers head coach Frank Vogel will be uh the what do you call it? Yeah, the, the next man up after they fired Monty Williams and one of the most shocking moves of the offseason. Uh, I think Monty's one of the best coaches in the league, and actually, yeah, he'll be making his Pistons coaching debut on Wednesday night here in Miami. I guess uh against my Miami Heat. Uh following Phoenix at number six, I have the Sacramento Kings at number seven. Sacramento had a very impressive season last year. Led by De'Aaron Fox, the Montes Sabonis, and uh, the Davion Mitchell, and all the guys over there, they re-signed Alex Len, the Miami native. 
not born in Miami, but Miami local, I guess you could call them, or, or resident. Um, they they re-signed Trey Lyles. They signed veteran uh, center, multi, multi-time champion, JaVale McGee. They extend Sabonis, and they also bring in Chris Duarte from the Indiana Pacers, who's one of the best player, uh, young players in the league, and they just add to that core that they're building there in Sacramento, and I'm excited to see what the Kings do this year. And then for the final spot in the West, I have, in my opinion, one of the most disappointing teams since, what is it, uh, 2019, the LA Clippers. I have them in the final spot there, and uh, yeah, you know, the main thing with the Clippers here and here out, it seems to be, oh, well, uh, Paul George and Kawhi actually play. So, you know, they're um, always doing the stress management stuff and or uh, really rest management BS, in my opinion. They, um, what do you call it? They, yeah, I mean, last year, they just do it year in and year out, both guys, ever since they joined the Clippers last year, they did it again. And the playoffs come, they're not there. It's like, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I have them here in the eighth spot. And or like I said earlier, like a couple other teams that came to mind were the Thunder, the Jazz, and the Blazers. Um, so I could definitely see a scenario where the Clippers don't make it and one of these other, you know, young teams sneaks in. But, yeah, ultimately, I, you know, I had them making it. Um, they did add uh, Kenyon Martin Jr. from Houston in the offseason. They retained Mason Plumlee and retained Russell Westbrook, one of my favorite players in the league. And uh, now to get into the playoff predictions, so to return to the Eastern Conference, so in the first round, we have the number one seeded Boston Celtics defeating the number eight seed New York Knicks in five games. Following that series, we have the number two seeded Philadelphia 76ers losing to the number seven seed Cleveland Cavaliers in six games. Then we have the number three Milwaukee Bucks facing off against the number six seed Toronto Raptors, and we have the Bucks winning that series in five. And we have my Miami Heat at number four, facing off against Indiana at number five. And I have the Heat winning that series in five games. Then in the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, we have the one-seeded Boston Celtics defeating the seven-seeded Cleveland Cavaliers in six games. Then we have the number four seed Miami Heat defeating the number three seed Milwaukee Bucks in seven games. Then the Eastern Conference um, finals, we have what a three-peat of the Celtics and Heat, as we have the four-seeded Heat defeating the defeating the one-seeded Celtics in six games to head to their to head to another trip to the NBA Finals in the Jimmy Butler era. Then to uh, go to my playoff predictions in the Western Conference, so we have the one-seeded Denver Nuggets defeating the eight-seeded uh, Los Angeles Clippers in five games. Then we have the two-seeded Golden State Warriors defeating the number seven-seed Sacramento Kings in seven games. We have the number six seed Phoenix Suns defeating the number three seed Minnesota Timberwolves in seven games. Then we have the number four seed Dallas Mavericks losing to the fifth seed Los Angeles Lakers in six games. And then for the second round of the Western Conference playoffs, we have the one seeded Denver Nuggets defeating the number six seeded Phoenix Suns in six games. And we have the Golden State Warriors at number two defeating the number five seed Los Angeles Lakers in seven games. And then in the Western Conference, we have the one-seeded Denver Nuggets losing to the two-seeded Golden State Warriors in six games. And then ultimately, in the NBA Finals, we have Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat defeating Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors in seven games. And, uh, yeah, those are my predictions for this coming NBA season. Like I said, the season tips off tonight. 
technically, but you know, for me, it really tips off on Wednesday night as my Miami Heat play host to Detroit Pistons. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to today's sports edition of the podcast. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the flame underscore ES and follow me at Rob Gow. That's R-O-B-C-A-O. Once again, I want to shout out to the Swifties for the love they keep showing to us at the flame underscore ES on Instagram. Appreciate it. Make sure to tune into our Thursday entertainment episode as we'll, of course, be talking Taylor Swift, amongst other things. And uh, yeah, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure to share with anyone that you think would be interested in any of the topics covered on today's show. Until next time, everyone, take care.